Views and opinions expressed on this platform are of me, myself, and I, not any agency I'm affiliated with. So please do not take what I say personally. Coming up on almost episode 30 of the podcast, I have somebody on near and dear to my heart. He's a good, solid dude, but also he saved my life before. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Our families have close ties together. Coming at you on the podcast, we got Ronnie Hill. Ronnie has 10 years in EMS under his belt. He has been an EMT basic, an advanced EMT, and is now a paramedic. Congratulations, Ronnie. State credentials instructor. He is an instructor in BLS, ACLS, PALS, newly appointed FTO. Good job, Ronnie. And also, we're going to touch on it, an associate's degree in emergency medical services. Ronnie's got a lot behind his name. So, Ronnie, if you want to tell the people who you are, what you stand for, go ahead. Well, first, I want to say uh, you read it exactly like I wrote it. I appreciate that. The check's in the mail, okay? So, uh, well, uh, as you said, my name's Ronnie Hill. Uh, I've been in I've been in EMS for a while. Started out in the fire department, and uh, of course, we'll talk about that. But started out in the fire department and my way in EMS, and wouldn't trade it for anything. So, Ronnie and I used to run at the same depart the same company together. Um, the one I'm actually returning back to, and I'm so excited. But Back when I was a baby basic, um, Ronnie actually saved my life before. So I'll give my side of the story. It was fresh into when I learned I had an allergic reaction to strawberries. This was still fresh. Um, I usually when I would eat them back when I was still learning, it was just a little scratchy throat. I got a little itchy, no big deal, whatever. We were doing an LDT coming back from New Orleans, which New Orleans to the station we were working at, it was not a short drive. It was a pretty long haul. And I looked at my book sack because I was getting a little sleepy, but, you know, we were fine. I just needed something to snack on. And I saw this little, like, bag of assorted dried fruits, and one of which were strawberries. But I was like, no big deal. I'm going to just snack on this. We'll have a good time. I think, Ronnie, you were on the phone with somebody. And... <laughs> Started getting a little tickle in my throat, and I'm like, whoo, man. Started coughing a little bit, and Ronnie was like, are you good? I was like, yeah, man, <sighs> I think I'm fine. <laughs> so everything progressed. <laughs> Ronnie, if you want to pick it up from there. Yeah, so we were coming back from New Orleans. Uh, had a little transfer down there. It was about two hours, I think, a little about two hours from where we picked up from and back to our station. We stopped in Port Allen to get fuel. And uh, we get back on the road, and it's kind of late. It's probably like 10-something at night, maybe 10, 11-something at night. We're on the way back. And a few minutes down the road, you just kind of like out of the blue, you're eating these these dried fruit things or this dried fruit, right? And so like out of the blue, you're like, ha-ha, I think I'm allergic to strawberries, ha-ha. And you just kind of like pop this out of nowhere Oh man. I'm like, okay. <clears throat> By the way, this is our very first time working together. And uh, you had not explained this to me at all at any point in time during the shift, any time prior to that, until you're already eating these things. A couple more minutes down the road, you start, like, coughing and coughing and coughing. And, co and you're driving, too, by the way. And you're, like, coughing and coughing. And I'm like, are you okay? It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine the whole time that you're coughing. Well, it's an hour from like Port Allen back to our station and you cough the entire way nonstop almost from Port Allen to to Port Barry back to our station and then I'm like look whenever we get back I've got to give you some medicine of some kind because you are like you you're you're struggling over here like no I'm fine I'm fine I'm coughing coughing when we get back to the station and you finally have been dealing with that long enough that you're like, okay, I think I want some medicine. I said, okay. I said, well, look, I'll take you in the back, give you some Benadryl, give you a, a, a breathing treatment, albuterol treatment, and we'll see how it goes from there. But I told you, I was like, listen, if I have to give you an epi shot, like if it gets bad enough and I have to give you epi 
you're going to the hospital like you don't have a choice. Like you've given me so much grief this whole time about giving you meds. Well, gave you some Benadryl, gave you a breathing treatment, kind of slowed down on the coffin. It's like, okay, yeah, I think I feel better. I think I'm going to make it through the night. Like, all right, that's fine. So we go in the station, and luckily we don't have any more calls for the rest of the night. And you did, in fact, make it through the night, thankfully. Didn't die on me. And uh, then we went home at the end of the shift, and then that was it. And I think that was uh, that was the first time you got sick at work. And, uh, of course, some people know about the stories after that of some of the other encounters and whatnot, but I think that that was the first time at work that you had gotten sick from your uh, – from your allergic reactions. Well, that's why in my will, you're given my last unit call because Ronnie was the first one to save my life during an allergic reaction. Ooh, look at you now. <laughs> so besides Ronnie saving my life, our ties actually run deep. Uh, there was one day where Ronnie texted me, was like, hey, is your grandpa Buddy Fairbanks? And I was like, yes why and come to find out our relatives were like neighbors in the city where my grandpa like ran as a i forgot whatever he was somebody in the police force but ronnie go back over those ties because the fairbanks and hillside run deep our ties run deep my dude oh whenever you interviewed your dad when you interviewed your state trooper in Catahoula Parish, either he mentioned it or you mentioned it or something like that. I was like, well, that's funny because that's where I'm from. And I was like, I remember growing up. I didn't remember any specific person or whatever, but I was like, I remember there being Fairbanks up there where I came from. And I never, it just never put the connection together until your dad said that. And I was like, oh, I said, I know, because Mama knows everybody. I was like, I know they know each other. And uh, so I, I asked Mama, I said, hey, um, I said, hey, do you know, uh, he was a trooper up there way back in the day, retired uh, from up there as a trooper. I said, do you know a buddy Fairbanks? She's like, yeah, I know him. I know some other Fairbankses and stuff like that that are up here now. And she said that, uh, she said, actually, the neighbor across the street was their maiden name was Fairbanks. I said, well, I just kind of found out in a roundabout way that somebody I used to work with down here, like I said, that your Fairbanks is from up there, are, are you, that's your people, you know, that's the same same people. So it's kind of interesting how, like, your grandpa's a state trooper, worked with my mom some as a paramedic and on the fire department in the area, because you know, all lived in that area, all had family up there and all that other kind of stuff. So, and she even knows, still knows some Fairbanks is up there to this day. I love it. It was still like, after going through the explanation of how everybody was running together, I'm like, you know what? I feel like now I can say that the first responder community runs in my blood and it runs deep. So that was eye-opening for me. <laughs> so... Ronnie, let's start off. Tell me about your recent school endeavors, your associate's degree. What was that like, and what does it entail? So, um, first off, I'll say that I, I never was interested in going to college. So, um, I'm 32, and I never really was interested in going to college. I didn't try that hard. Uh, I didn't try to take any extra classes that I that to, to set me up for college. I had no plans to go to college. I only planned on going to work. So I didn't really try. And uh, now I still did good at school and uh, I still graduated near the top of my class and everything, but I just didn't, you know, that wasn't for me. And I, so I didn't, I didn't go to college. Uh, I went to work instead. Well, as I got older, I began to have more of a passion for learning and uh, learning and teaching. So I, I did that more. And I, so I got to thinking, I was like, well, I still don't have a, uh, you know, I still don't want to go to college per se as I get old, as I got older, but I did like taking a whole lot of classes and getting a lot of certifications and stuff like that. Well, after I got my paramedic, I was like, you know what? 
I have half of what I need to be able to get a degree. So I talked to my wife about it. I was like, look, I, I want to get a college degree. You know, I want to get a degree. Uh, a lot of my family on my dad's side, uh, you know, a lot of them didn't even finish school. Uh, you know, and, and the few that did, you know, they didn't even really go. They didn't go to college or anything like that. They they just went to work. So uh, talked to my wife. I was like, look, if I could fund this thing, uh, I, I want to go to college. I want to get a degree. I said it won't take very long to be able to do considering what I already had. So uh, looked it up, talked to her about it. It's like, look, I think we could swing this. So in January of last year, I started my first classes with uh, Columbia Southern University. So I was like, well, I'm going to get a degree, you know, in my field that I'm working on. And I started as a full-time student. So I started college, have two kids, have six months old at the time. I did that all the way up until uh, the end of November of this past year. And I finished all my classes uh, with a cumulative GPA of 4.0. And I uh, got my degree, my associate's degree in EMS. Very proud of it. Uh, definitely going to go back at some point in time. I'm looking at uh, trying to be able to fund, you know, going back for a bachelor's degree uh, in EMS management. So that's the next, kind of the next step from here. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I'm, and I'm so glad I went to the paramedic school that I went to because, uh, you know, of course, paramedic schools have to be associated with uh, colleges in order to be accredited so you could get a paramedic degree, that, I mean, get a paramedic certification. So that's how the system is set up. And the way they had their schoolwork set up was pretty much exactly like college. So even though I didn't know anything about college, never been to college before, um, I take that back. I did go to Texas Bible College. I did take some classes with um, way back in the day i can't remember even what years that was i was probably in my mid early 20s mid 20s whenever i did that and that was some so i had some experience with college right my paramedic school the way they had their assignments and everything set up was pretty much exactly like college and so whenever i started taking college like the programs looked pretty much the same all the assignments looked very similar so i was like okay this isn't so bad and it really wasn't uh i didn't find at least with this degree, I didn't find that the work was too terribly difficult. Uh, it's just kind of a lot, you know, and, and I and I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to take any breaks because I wanted to finish it. So from the end of January to the very end of November, I was in school the whole time. And uh, it was a lot, but, you know, I made it through. And I, like I said, I'm very proud of it. I'm just waiting for that thing to come in the mail so I can you know, see it for a change just so I can really kind of become solid to me that I'm done, even though, you know, thankfully I haven't had assignments to do for like over a month now. But uh, that's kind of, that's kind of the, uh, the thing with college and everything. Like I really enjoyed the program. I enjoyed what I learned and I'm yeah. looking forward to going back. I'm not looking forward to having to do all the work again, but like I said, I put myself on full-time schedule to be able to go ahead and get it done. So I, it took me, it took me 10 months to do my paramedic program, took me 10 months to do college. And uh, I finished up. And it's super commendable. Dude, I didn't know you had a 4.0. In the very last term, I was kind of wondering, like with my last two classes, I was like, man, and it wasn't that they were hard. It's just by the time, like I knew it was my last two classes, I was so over school, like I was done with it. I was done with being there. I was like, man, I really need to stick with this. And I was really worried that I was going to actually break my uh, break my streak, but I managed to I managed to pull it off. I'm proud of you, Ronnie. Very proud of you. And on top of that, too, I guess I'll go ahead and throw this in. I got uh, I got invited to two two different honor societies. Uh, as part of you know getting my grades, but I didn't I didn't go to either one of them. I kind of have my reasons for that. Not saying that there's anything wrong with them, but I don't know. Like maybe whenever I go back for my bachelor's degree, if I get uh, you know invited to some honor societies, I'll do that. Then I think it might be more worth it then uh, than for my associate's degree because I really I'm really pretty sure I'm going back. You know. So Ronnie. From the get-go, why did you even get into EMS all those years ago? Like, tell me about your start from EMT basic to paramedic. 
what made you want to take the leap to get your paramedic, all of that stuff and everything in between. Tell me about that. Okay. So let's let's bring this all the way back to mid nineties. All right. Let's go let's go way back. And I'll try to keep this as concise as possible. But so very similar story to pretty much most all of your other guests, right? I have family that was in uh as were first responders, right? So I grew up around it. My parents were firefighters. Both of my parents were firefighters. My mom was a paramedic. My older brother was a paramedic. My mom was a paramedic for the company that I work for now. My brother was a paramedic for the company that bought out the company I work for now. It kind of comes full circle in the end, but both of them were paramedics at the same time in the same area, but they worked for different uh, they worked for different ambulance services. But they were also all on the same fire department, like my mom, my older brother, my dad, we were, they were all on the same fire department. So I grew up with that as a kid. And I remember, you know, going and getting on the ambulance. Mama would stop by while we were at the babysitters and I'd go get on the ambulance and play in the back of the truck and stuff like that, you know, riding on the fire trucks and parades and stuff and being around the fire station and going to, going to fires and all that other stuff. So I pretty much knew I was going to do that, right? And I wanted to be that. Um, but at least whenever I was in school, whenever I was in high school, it was like, I didn't have a plan on wanting to be full, right? Plan was I was going to be like a volunteer and, uh, I would go work a job that way I could make good money. So going to the fire department when I was 17 and with it being a, a real small town and everything, you know, even, even the junior firefighters, quote unquote, they all still fought fire and trucks and everything just simply out and that's out of necessity right because we didn't have that many people so i started off doing that <clears throat> on the fire department and i knew that my plan was as i said i at least want to be firefighter one and emt trained at least right i didn't necessarily have a, a love for the medical or anything at the time i was definitely more fire than anything else and uh so I did that, and I got my firefighter one in uh, 2008, right after I turned 18. A couple months after I turned 18, I got my firefighter one certification, and uh, then I'm after. Uh, well, I had already moved off. I'd moved to South Louisiana by then. Right after, like a month after I turned 18, I moved from up there. I moved down south. I live about 30 minutes from Baton Rouge, and I went to work with my brother in the plant. And so I was a dock operator in the plants, and I loaded all of the barges on the river, and I kind of worked all over the place doing that. And I transferred to the fire department down here. I was doing that toward the end of my career as a firefighter. I worked uh, as a contractor, contract firefighter. But um, now here's something that I guess that you didn't know is in September of 2012, I actually got my EMR certification. So I started off as a first responder, and uh, that's how I ended up being able to work part-time for the fire department because, I, you know, I had my firefighter one, and I got my medical certification, so I was able to work part-time. And uh, so that's kind of my beginning, and so that's why I say 10 years because I've had my EMR certification since then. I ended up getting to, in a roundabout way, I ended up getting to meet the owner of the company at the time. And uh, I kind of got involved in being like a like a first responder, kind of like standby medic at the campgrounds for camp meeting through kind of like him and one of his medics and stuff like that. And they really liked me and they liked the way I worked and everything. And I found out a buddy of mine at the time that was an EMT that worked on the fire department with me, he, uh, he worked full time for that ambulance service. And he told me one day, he's like, hey, you know, they hire, um, after I came back from the from working the camp meeting, it's like, you know, they hire, uh, we hire EMRs, right? I was like, no, I did not know that. And he's like, yeah, we hire EMRs. You need to go, uh, you need to go check it out. So, okay, so I talked to him and said, uh, you know, I want to work part-time as an EMR. So, okay. So uh, they hired me in part-time in not January, July of 2015, July of 2015. And um, so that was whenever, that's how long I've been at this company. Cause I've not, I haven't worked for any other ambulance service. Like I got on the ambulance 
started working, I was like, man, I really, really love this. Like, I got to figure out how to get into this. And I had already kind of started, like, I've been working at that other company for almost eight years. I was like, man, I'm really starting to, you know how whenever people say is they hate their job. So, like, I never, I was always, like, oh, I think that's bullcrap. Oh, people hate their job. Well, I really, really, really started to hate my job. I was not hate the job. I hate the schedule uh, because it was an on-call schedule. I worked 24-7 on-call. So, I told him, I said, I want a full-time spot. Uh, I want to come on full-time. Well, they kept offering me spots on the daylight truck. And I'm like, not a chance. I'm not coming over full-time for that. I said, if I'm coming over full-time, I'm coming on an ALS truck. Well, in the middle of all of that, uh, my fire department started up an EMT class. And I told my boss, I was like, look, I said, I'm going to this EMT class. So I went to the EMT class. I started doing that. And uh, before I could finish the EMT class, they finally offered me a full-time spot on an ALS truck, the same one that I'm on now. So I was like, okay. So I took the, I took it, and I left the, I left Blantz, and I went to the, uh, I went to working on the ambulance. Now I want to tell you, that was, uh, that was a lot for me because I had been working in the same job for like almost eight years. I had a lot of seniority. I had, I was making really good pay because I was working in the plants, right? So I was making really good pay, had really good benefits, seniority, the whole. Making all of that, making $21 an hour at the time to go work on the Daniels for $12 an hour with uh, health insurance, and that was it. I really, really loved what I was doing. So I was like, you know what? I, I, you know what? I could do that. That's fine. So I, I left and I did it throughout 2016. I kind of finished up EMT school and uh, I got my EMT in uh, 20, March of 2017. So I had planned on, I was like, look, at this point in time, you know, I, I kind of fell in love with it. I was going to go be a paramedic. So I was kind of already thinking ahead of time. I was like, I'm going to go to paramedic school in the fall. You know, so if this is March 2017, uh, in like August of that year, I was going to go to paramedic school. But a month or two later, one of the manager DMT first ever advanced, you could take it for free. And uh, you could be finished by the end of the year. I was like, okay, well, sign me up then. So I was like, well, this seems like, uh, you know, go go to this advanced EMT class for free, be doing pretty much the same job, and not have to pay $10,000 get into paramedic school. Yeah, let's do it. So I went into I went into the advanced class, finished up that year. I got my advanced certification very end of December of that year. So I wasn't even a EMT for like nine months. And then I ended up getting my advanced EMT. Well, right after that, they put me in a medic spot on my truck. And uh, I've worked in that medic spot for, you know, for the rest of the time that I've been here. Um, so I got put in that medic spot, was doing that for a long time. And uh, whether it be procrastination, whether it be uh, lack of motivation, you know, complacency. I didn't really try to pursue, uh, you know, paramedic after that. Well, during that time, as an advance, you know, those years that I was doing that, um, I got promoted to FTO. I became an instructor a few months after I got my advanced and uh, started teaching like EMR classes, EMT classes and stuff like that. And then I got married. And, you know, Marriage does things to a man, right? Marriage marriage changes a man. And I told my wife, I was like, look, I, I feel like that I'm not getting the best out of all of this. I said, I need to go I need to go to paramedic school. And so she supported me. I started school, paid for it and everything. And uh, I was in school for 10 months. Finished school. Six days later, I had my paramedic. In uh, August of 2021 so that's kind of the journey of how you know kind of how it started and and went all the way through i ended up being i'm probably one of the few people that's been all four levels of certification because that's not the typical route right that that people normally take but uh that's just kind of the way it fell out for me and uh i'm glad that it did you know it, it took way longer than it should have but uh 
you know, that's okay. I'm still, I'm still happy with what I got. And, uh, of course, right after I got my paramedic, a couple months later, I went into college. So it's kind of like almost been a nonstop thing for me to, to go from one type of school into another. And, uh, I think that's the whole story. I tried as I could, but I, um, you know, I feel like somebody can really get something out of, out of that. Well, like you said, it's not a conventional route. And so it's, it's kind of eye-opening to know that like you don't have to start from your EMT basic from the get-go, not knowing anything about EMS. You can start out small and go with the EMR, then work your way up. And you don't have to go straight from EMT basic to paramedic. You can make those small steps along the way, learn as you go until you reach your final destination. And it doesn't have to be paramedic. You can stop at EMT or you can stop at advanced. Like you're saying, yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to say that's how it shook out for me, right? Would I have done things differently? Yes, I would have done things differently. But I'm not going to suggest to other people that that's how they should do it, right? Like, I feel like that you need to kind of work out your own way. Because some people, some people that I've seen, they, they want to go from EMT to paramedic, and that's fine. And I know also some people that went from, like, EMT to advanced EMT. And I'm like, okay, like, knowing what I knew, know now, there's, like, no way that I would ever go back and be an advanced EMT again, like, if I would have known, I would have just went to paramedic school, and I would have went, went straight on to paramedic, and I feel like I would have definitely gotten a whole more opportunity out of the deal, but uh, that's just kind of the way it shook out for me, so. So, with all of your, especially the amount of schooling you've done nonstop, what have you learned that prevents burnout for you, and, like, kind of on that same idea, what what keeps you going in EMS, and how do you balance that work and personal life? And like, what is, what do you do to decompress? Like, how do you keep yourself sane or how did you keep yourself sane throughout all of that? Because that's, that's hard stuff. So kind of the main thing is like, cause it's almost kind of, it's really it's two different things you're kind of asking. One thing is whenever it came to going to school and all that kind of stuff, I had a goal, right? I had a goal and that was to finish school it be paramedic school, whether it be college, is was to finish, right? And it had a time frame to it. I was like, I, I know I will be done with school at this point in time. Knowing that, that was, not that it wasn't hard, but it made it a lot easier to get through because I want to have a goal to aim toward. And I knew, I was like, I have a couple more, I have a couple more months left. I have a couple more weeks left. I have just a little bit of time left. Like I'm almost over this thing. So that's kind of what kept me going through all of that. And like I said, it was very hard. You know, it's not easy having a, having an infant, having a family, going full time, going to college at the same time. Uh, It it was a lot. And uh, it was stressful on me. It was stressful on my family. But, but as far as like trying to keep myself, uh, like keep stress levels down and everything. Like generally with work, I don't work overtime. Okay, I do not pick up overtime shifts on the truck. And uh, I used to work overtime all the time. Like I used to, I used to, I had my forty-eight hour shift on Thursday and Friday, and then every other day of the week I was going somewhere to pick up some kind of uh, daylight shift on a truck somewhere. And I, I finally kind of got burnt out on that. It's like, you know what? I, I'm not doing this anymore. So I don't pick up any extra shifts on the truck. Now, that being said, um, I will work extra, okay? I will work overtime, but I'm going to do it as an instructor. I'm not going to do it as working on the truck because my, my logic behind it is, is I'm not going to continue to expose myself all the time you know it's already enough right we work 48 hours a week as it is it's already enough i do not want to continue to expose myself so if i'm gonna if i'm gonna work extra i'm gonna do it it's something that's not um that's not going to give me a lot of grief right it's it's very simple i say it's very simple it's not simple but it's a whole lot easier to to work as an instructor than it is to work on the truck uh because you don't have all that extra stress and stuff you have to deal with so I don't work any extra uh, on the truck. Um, I forgot to mention, I also work a second job as an instructor 
at the state fire school. So I kind of forgot about that this whole time since like since 2020. I've been I, I've also been working a second job. So in the middle of working a full time job and going to school and all that other kind of stuff. So um, I went through paramedic school the whole time that I was working the second job and everything to paramedic school and college. My boss over there, your your form your PMT instructor. Love him to death. He's a very, very good guy. Very supportive. He's been very supportive of me and uh, getting me through the whole thing. But some other things that I do to kind of help is is I try to, uh, you know, I, t- I talk to my wife and I'm like, look, so I want to work some days. Uh, what do we got planned? Um, you know, I don't have to work these days, but I want to, to be able to kind of get a little extra money or whatever. So, uh you know, I talk to her, like, what do we got planned? Can I pick this day up? Can we not? And we'll also plan to go do things, um, you know, go out and do things like, uh, uh, like we're, what we were kind of talking about earlier this morning is we want to go out, like, to more of the state parks and go hiking more. So, like, the trails at the state parks and stuff like that. Like, we'll make a day trip out of it. And we'll go hiking and we'll go places like that or we'll take some kind of day trip and go somewhere. So I try to spend time with the family doing stuff. Um, you know, I try to stay, I try to stay sensitive to, you know, the needs of the family and be like, look, if, if I, if I can tell that I've been working too much or been gone too much, I try to be home and, uh, not work my other job and, or, and all that other stuff. Another thing too is, um, you know, my faith. I try to, I use my faith to kind of help keep a good perspective on uh, life in general so not just my job but just life in general and one of the main things i think obviously that uh that causes people any ems to, to get a lot of uh stress cumulative stress ptsd and stuff like that is dealing dealing with death and dying all the time right you know that death and dying that's a part of life okay that is just a part of life it is going to happen it's going to happen to, to the people around us the people that we love it's going to happen to us eventually right so i try to keep a very realistic and very healthy outlook on it and if i have a patient die or if i have to deal with uh death and dying on the job i don't take it personal okay i do not sit there and think it's like oh my god did i do everything that i could have done for this patient no of course not because i do every single thing i can for every single patient that i have right so if it doesn't work out, then I don't stress it. Like it does not stress me out because it's like that's all I can do because I have no control over that whatsoever. Like I don't have any control over that. And I think that obviously, you know, the odds of us saving somebody, quote unquote, are extremely low compared to not saving them. So if you set yourself up ahead of time, it's like, look, there's probably extremely slim chance that I'm actually going to save this person. You know, that kind of puts you in the right headspace to be able to expect what's going to happen. So um, I try to, like I say, I try to keep a healthy perspective on it, you know, with that sort of thing. I do the best I can for every single patient. I don't sit there and, and, Think about it afterwards, like, look, did I do everything about this patient? And uh, I hope that doesn't sound too whatever, but I mean, it, I mean, it is what it is, you know? And uh, I try to, I try to uh, not expose myself when I don't have to. Like I said, by not going to work, pick up a bunch of extra shifts. I try not to expose myself outside of work to a bunch of stuff. Uh, I try to, I'm just basically kind of leave it behind. And, you know, just like, look, if I'm not at work, then I'm not doing it. You know, that's not to say I won't help somebody. Um, but I'm, I don't go stick out my nose in places that they shouldn't be, you know, whenever I'm not in that role. So those, that's kind of some of the things that I do, you know, to kind of help keep myself so straight and i think it's worked out so far it's not to say that i don't have cumulative stress um and some of the issues that go with it but uh i feel like that uh, i feel like that i don't need medication 
So I, I think there's that, you know. Kind of like I heard someone say once, we don't chase the reaper. We prolong someone's time as long as they're given that time. And I think that's a crucial part of keeping the longevity in EMS because like, yeah, we have some of the tools to save people's lives, but when it's their time, there's nothing we can do about it. And we can't help the circumstances that have happened before we get on scene. So I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think that's something that should be taught more in EMT school and paramedic school and everything in between, because we like rightly so we're trained to save people's lives and we're trained in a way that what we do will bring someone back from the dead or will keep them from dying. But all in all, it's like you said, it's not in our control. Right. And it's not, it's not, um, it's not reality. Okay. It's not reality. I'm a very, I'm a very realist type person. I'm not a pessimist. I'm not optimist. I'm a realist, right? I kind of see things how they are. And, the. Uh, you know, and a lot of it talking about people going into this profession and like, what to expect. It's like, well, it really has to do with what their intentions are to begin with, right? And some people can set themselves up well if they have good intentions going into it. And some people, they're going to have a hard time because they, because, you know, no matter what you tell them, they're going to have their intentions for doing this. And that might, uh, that might conflict with what they actually run into out there so tell me about your favorite type of call because there's so many you got respiratory cardiac trauma sight codes lift assist you got car wrecks whatever and i know down in port barry it's pretty wild out there so what is your favorite type of call <sighs> so um i guess my favorite type of call really is going to be any call that I can get a good positive change in the patient's condition. Uh, or if I can maintain the patient's condition, I'm to get worse. So I, I, a lot of people, it's like trauma junkies, and a lot of people like, oh, I like the medical, I'm taking my way through it. Uh, you know, I kind of like it all. You know, I like it all because I like to be able to, um, you know, I like to be able to think about stuff, and I also like to be able to have good trauma calls and do that sort of thing. Uh, but generally, really, honestly, any call that I can get a good, you know, get a good change in condition on the patient, you know, or if I can, if they're in real bad shape, at least maintain their condition to where they don't get any worse. And uh, obviously, if I could get some kind of feedback afterwards to know that they actually did better. That's even that's even better, right? Uh, you know, that's that's pretty much it. That's probably a little bit underwhelming. That's kind of that's that's my favorite types of calls, the ones that actually that go well. I wouldn't say underwhelming. It's definitely an original answer, and dude, I I can agree with that. I can definitely agree with that. Speaking of calls, my favorite question. Tell me about the funniest or craziest call, the one that's challenged you. Tell me about a call. Give me a story time, Ronnie. Okay, so now I've got the funniest, craziest call, and I also have a challenging call that's not the same thing. Okay, so which one, which one do you want first? Do the one that's challenged you first, and then we'll go to the funny one. Okay, so the challenging call. So I guess the most recent challenging call that I had uh, was back a handful of months ago. I had a uh, an MCI school bus crash with uh, you know some injured kids. So we got a call. <clears throat> we had just uh, we had actually just dropped the patient at the hospital in Opelousas. Got a few blocks down the road. Get a call from dispatch. Say, hey, we've got a motor vehicle accident. Uh, involving a school bus. Of course, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, so school bus is going to be slammed full of kids, right? Uh, and they got a report of two patients unconscious. It's like, okay. So uh, we we get the call. We're in the middle of Opelousas, and it is west of town. It's on the main highway west of town, like in between uh, Lawtail and Eunice. And so I 
learned in the past, I was like, let me let me get my mind in the right place, right? Because we get reports of this, we get, you know, at least two people unconscious. It's like, this probably can't be good, right? This isn't your run-of-the-mill, accidentally bump a school bus, get 30 refusals type deal. So um, they said other ambulance services have been contacted, you know, but they, you're probably going to be the first one. I was like, okay, that's great. So I shut my computer from working on my ticket, and I start to think, it's like I start pre-gaming with myself and I start and try to pre-game with my partner and start getting mentally prepared for what I'm about to see, what I'm going to have to do and all that stuff. So um, we get out there and, of course, I am the first one there. So I establish incident command and basically what we had had is um, we had a school bus full of children. I think there were like 30 people on board total, 30. And um, they had just they had just stopped, like pulled off to let off like three or four or five kids at a house on the highway. Well, whenever they started to get back out on the road, there was a um, uh, you know what a flat whenever I say a flatbed truck, okay, uh, like think a wrecker. Okay, but you used to carry around like lumber and other building supplies and stuff, right? So it was a lumber truck, flatbed lumber truck. Apparently, paying attention or whatever, and he was coming down the highway. It was a 65 mile an hour zone. He noticed that the school bus was starting to pull back out into the roof, and he tries to, he slams on his brakes, and that causes the rear end of the truck, the flatbed part, to kind of spin to the side, and he collides with the back of the bus. So it slams into the back of the bus, and it the only thing that catches the back of the bus, thankfully, is just, you know, that much of the flatbed hits the back of the bus. Injured kid that were sitting at the very back of the bus where it got hit. So um, went and took a look at them real quick. They were both conscious. Uh, they were just pretty hurt. They had obvious broken broken bones. Uh, stuff like that. They were both, you know, they were both conscious at the time. So if they were unconscious, they had regained consciousness before we got there. Fire department was maintained to them. So we got uh, got air med, we got air evac and all that stuff coming, more ambulances, just kind of watch them. And so I did the incident command thing and uh, started trying to, I told my partner, I said, go check on all these other kids to find out if anybody's injured. You know, I got to get this thing straightened out. So got all the resources kind of coordinated in, talked to learn on the phone, you know, coordinated resources, getting trucks in there. Ultimately ended up transporting, flew those two kids out. We flew those two kids out to the trauma center. Uh, we transported two with minor injuries by ground. And then the rest of them, you know, didn't end up needing transport. So we only had four patients total, but there was 30 people involved, right? So it's 30 people. 29 of 29 of them being kids like they were all kids except for uh for the driver of the bus worked out well uh i didn't ever hear anything back on any of those kids i'm sure they're probably all fine i know like i said from what i could obviously tell those two kids in the back they were beat up pretty bad but they made it and uh you know it was it was a lot and by the time uh kind of got my head screwed on straight after the time it was all over with and got back on the road, headed back to the station, kind of took a deep breath and was like, whew, you know, it's like, man, that was, that was a lot. You know, it was a lot of running back and forth, a lot of coordinating, a lot of the whole nine yards, but we made it through and uh, got later on, got a call from dispatch, said, hey, look, state police called, said you did an excellent job and they just wanted to call and, uh, you know, commend you for, for the job that you did out there. I was like, well, that's good. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, just another day's work, you know. But it was, that was a pretty challenging call as far as that goes. Now this other call, okay, the, the funny, funny, weird one, okay. So I went on COVID deployment back in uh, April of 2020, whenever COVID kind of slammed everything up. I was there for like 28 days doing that. And um, I had gotten a call while I was there for this patient that was like unconscious or whatever 
Uh, and this wasn't long after I got there either. It was probably about a week. I think I'd been there about a week. Got a call from a patient that uh, was unconscious, not doing well. Like, okay. So I went down there, picked the patient up. They were they were dialysis patient. They were hyperglycemic. They uh unconscious, unresponsive, just a train wreck of a patient. You know what I mean? Just like very unhealthy, very not in good shape. Transport the patient to the to the local ER that's, you know, right their their ambulance station is directly across the street from their from their uh, hospital over there. So transport them about a mile back up the road to the CU because they're in crap shape. Well, about a week later from that point, about a week later from that point, uh, it's kind of late at night. I'm on like a 1T to 1A shift, and the other ambulance crew is, uh, we're both sitting at the station because we have two ambulance crews on on that side of the river. Uh, and they get a call for a, a pimple that it popped on somebody's arm. Uh, at that same at that same uh, project that I had picked that patient up from before. Like, okay. So they get in the truck, they go down there, and about a minute or so later, after they after we hear them on the radio get on scene, they start screaming for us. They're like, Y'all get down here now, we need some help now. I was like, Okay, so get my partner, we go down there. And we go find that same patient that I had mentioned before that was, you know, hyperglycemic, all that stuff, went to ICU. Uh, we get there, and we find them on the floor because Pruitt ended up moving them onto the floor. And there was the most amount of blood I have ever seen in my life in one place in the couch, like all in the couch and all over the floor. Like the patient had been laying, had been sitting on the couch. Well, it turns out what had happened was, was their dialysis shunt had ruptured. And I never thought that I would ever see something like that happen. Like, I'd always kind of wondered. I was like, maybe eventually with all the dialysis patients I have, I will probably see that at some point in time. Well, my day, my day had come. I had finally gotten to see the dialysis shunt had ruptured. I see flat out all in the couch all over the floor and so now she was still alive okay she was still alive at this point in time but we had walked in and they were like come on hurry up we gotta go i'm like yeah this is kind of bad isn't it so we helped them with stretcher loaded them up in their truck and they were double stacked that night they had two paramedics on board and uh it was like, look, we need some help. So I told my partner, I was like, look, here's what we're going to do. You take our ambulance, you go out there, turn it off, lock it up, and you get in their ambulance, and you drive us to the hospital, and the three of us are going to work on this patient. So she still had a pulse and everything, but, you know, obviously just faintly, she barely had any blood left in her. Uh, and so we're the three of us are just like scrambling to try to get an IV on board, try to get this patient stabilized. Thankfully, we're only like a little over a mile, like a mile from the hospital. So we get her over to the hospital. Right after we get to the hospital, she codes. So we bring her inside. They have um, Lucas devices. They have Lucas devices on there, but they also have a Lucas device in the ER. So they were on Lucas device in the ER. And they try intubating her, they can't intubate her, they try, uh, so the doctor elects to go ahead and do a surgical crike on the patient. So that was something else at the same time that I got to see for the first time as a surgical crike uh, on the patient that they're working. So they set her up, they get some IV, they get some blood on board, because I found out, I'd learned that they can't call a code from uh if they bleed out or something before they can try to call it. Uh, so they put some blood back in, did CPR for a while, called, didn't get it back. Um, it's like, okay. So after the call was over and everything, whenever I picked that patient up the first time, right, this is the funny part, all right, this is the dark humor funny part. 
when I picked that patient up the first time, I told the crews about it. I asked them, I said, man, that, that woman's in bad shape. And she's like, yeah, but she'll be fine. We've been picking her up for years. She's a, uh, she always gets hyperglycemic or she gets out of whack with her electrolytes because she's a dialysis patient. She gets real sick and then she bounces back. She's fine. We've been picking her up for years and years and years. And uh, I was like, okay. So, and then after this is over and she finally dies, I told them, I was like, well, if you got any more of your regular patients that are sick like that all the time, that always call and are always sick like that all the time, just send me on them because about a week later they'll be dead and you won't have to worry about them anymore. Ronnie, no. <laughs> and they kind of, they kind of laughed or whatever about the deal. I was like, you know, I'm not being serious. Right. Like I said, that's kind of the dark humor of the deal. Right. Cause we just worked this code and all that kind of stuff. And we're trying to like, trying to get it, get it right. But I was like, yeah, so if there's any of your other regular patients that you don't want to deal with anymore, just uh, send me on the call and uh, and you won't have to worry about them anymore. So, yeah. But like I said, that's just humor, okay? I don't really mean that. Obviously, I'm not out killing patients or doing anything wrong to anybody. Obviously. But uh, it was just very interesting it was just very interesting altogether. Like uh, there was a bunch of stuff that I got to see for the first time on that one call that I never thought I would see, like the broke the the ruptured dialysis shunt, um, surgical crike. That was the first time I'd ever seen a Lucas device used. Uh, it was kind of a it was kind of a lot of first on that one call. What a turn of events from a pot pimple to someone bleeding out and then dying. Yeah. So very, very interesting how that works, isn't it? With that in mind, um, what's some advice you'd give someone either going into EMS or someone already in EMS, someone thinking of going into EMS, besides just like you've already said about why you don't pick up overtime and how to deal with calls like the one you went on with the dialysis shunt rupturing, uh, not letting that affect you in the wrongest way. Like, what is some advice for all of that? Um, I guess the first thing I would say is if you have the opportunity, if you actually have the opportunity to go ride first and to see what it's like, uh, I think that would be the best thing. It's like if you have no clue, like absolutely no clue what it's like, but it's something that you feel like you want to try, uh, go ride. You know, most ambulance services, if you have the right spirit about it and you're like, well, I'm interested in trying to do this, you know, uh, can I go ride or shadow for a shift or two? They'll be like, yeah, come ride on the board and, uh, you know, just go see what it's actually like, because you might realize that it's like too fast for you, too slow for you. You might get sick at what you see. Um, like I have. Had a, like I had one of my ENT students that whenever they were doing their ride time, they actually found out that they couldn't get like terribly car sick. I was like, well, that's kind of going to be unfortunate for you being an ENT, you know. So, you know, kind of find out, try to eliminate as much of those sorts of things as you can ahead of time. Talk to people that work in the field. Uh, go ride if you have the opportunity to uh, educate yourself a little bit about it. Um, you know, start with that first. That expectations aren't out of out of line with reality. Um, the next thing I would say is, like, give it your all. Go and study and learn. Uh, take pride in your work. That's one of my biggest things. Is take pride in your work. Have integrity. Go out there and do the right thing. Be in it for the right reasons. Because we both know for people that are out here doing this job for the wrong reason. And um, whether they started that way or whether they got themselves into that, I think that uh, it's poorly on them, but it also, uh, you run the risk of, you know, having issues with your coworkers or having issues with your patients that's not for the right reasons. Um, some other stuff I could say on this. Be be prepared to be prepared to work with just about anybody because there are so many different personalities out there doing this. 
you can be a closed-minded person and be like, well, I just can't work with any of these people. You can't work with anybody. They're not the problem. You're the problem. Okay? I'm just going to say that up front. You know, you are the problem. If you can't be open and be able to work with anybody and at least get through a shift as peacefully as possible. Now, that's not saying that you have to choose to go work with these people repeatedly, but you at least, if you have to work with somebody different, need to be open to uh, working with other people, at, at least temporarily. Uh, because you never know, like your partner's going to call out sick at some point in time and you're going to have to work with somebody else. At the least, right? At the least, that's what's going to happen. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to take up away. You're going to get top partners. Uh, that's just part of the game. So that's something else you need to expect and be ready for also is having a different partner um, at some point in time during your career. I really like what you said about if you can't work with XYZ number of people, there's a common denominator and it's probably not them. Most definitely. Because I've heard many people out there, it's like, oh, I can't work with this person. I can't work, or I only want to work with this person or whatever. I'm like, well, I could work with anybody. Like, I could literally go out there and work with anybody. And that's not to say that I'm going to have a good time. Okay. I'm probably not going to have a good time. But I can at least work with them and I could get through the shift. And I think we could probably, um, we can probably at least leave no worse off than where we, what we came, right? Then that's kind of that's kind of the goal in the end. It's not to leave any worse off than what you came in there as. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I've, that's kind of one of my things, pet peeves about uh, some of the things that people say out there. So, Ronnie, knowing what you know now, reflecting back on the journey, if you could change it all. Would you still take this path and go into EMS? Why or why not? So I absolutely would stay doing this, right? I absolutely would do it. The only thing that I would change is if I would have done it sooner. Um, like I said, I didn't really think EMS wasn't part of my radar. Um, did not even become part of my radar until like my mid-20s. Um, I wish that I would have thought about it sooner. I wish that I would have pursued it sooner. Like just as soon as I turned 18, I wish I could have been outside or went out there, got my EMT, uh, went ahead and got my paramedic. I probably would have been those, one of those zero to heroes. Um, cause that kind of was almost the intention anyway. Um, uh, whenever the way that I did do it, but like I said, the whole thing about the advanced EMT class kind of threw me off course by like four years so um like i said still would do it wish i could have done it sooner that's that's one of the main things i would have uh i would have done it sooner i would have become a paramedic way sooner i would have went to college way sooner i'd have already had my degree by now uh bachelor's degree probably would even be pursuing my master's degree um you know and i'm not open i'm not uh close to that in the future either uh but obviously, more time, more money, and all that kind of stuff, too. So that's, uh, I think that's how I would have done it. I, or that's, or I wish that's the way it would have shaken out. So, Ronnie, I appreciate having you on. Ronnie's one of the very, very few, and I mean, like, the only one, really, who actually gives me feedback after episodes, and I'm eternally grateful for that. So, Ronnie, thank you for riding along in this journey with me and uh, dude thank you for coming on and sharing some of your wisdom and insight i really appreciate it well i appreciate the invitation uh, you know i really like what you've been doing with the podcast so far and i'm glad for you know where it's gonna where it's gonna go where it's gonna take you you never really know right and uh, you know I, this is only the second podcast i've been on I've been on one other podcast as a guest, um, but you know I've been looking forward to doing this. Um, you know, kind of since you kind of since you started and and having this conversation, and I hope that uh, 
I hope I contributed well, and I hope that somebody can get something out of my story and out of my circumstance to take it and and go and better themselves and those around them. Absolutely, absolutely. So with that. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or future topic ideas, please email me at 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Be safe out there, friends, and never stop learning.